It's TechBiter Worldwide. I'm Bill Blinn with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the sports, most of the jingles, the weather, and the commercials. Podcast number 297 for June 17th, 2012. This week, Photoshop CS6 now enhanced with magic pixie dust. Adding eye candy to your photos. And it short circuits near photo quality on a notebook when something happens that shouldn't. And happy Father's Day, tech guy. Adobe Creative Suite version 6, or CS6, will begin shipping soon. I've been working with the many applications in the suite for several weeks, and the resulting applications live up to expectations. In many cases, they exceed expectations. In CS5, Adobe spent a lot of time making the applications faster. That has continued in CS6, but this new version also brings with it enough new features to almost convince me that Adobe has found a source of magic pixie dust. While that's obviously not true, CS6 does make life tough for those of us who write reviews. Simply trying to select which new features to write about is a huge challenge. And nowhere is this more true than with Photoshop CS6. Photoshop is probably the most used application in the suite because of its wide base of users. Both professional and amateur photographers use Photoshop, of course, but it's also in demand by graphic designers who create work that'll be used on the web, in interactive presentations, and in print. Increasingly, Photoshop is being used by those who work in video. Typically, it's used for post-production work, titles, and effects. So there's a lot to cover. And this review will not cover it all. Adobe's new Camera Raw 7 was first seen in Lightroom 4, where it was an immediate hit because the controls are arranged much better than before, and all of them start with zero positions, so that the aspect of the image that's being modified by the control can be increased or decreased. In previous versions, some aspects could only be increased. Although the previous versions of Camera Raw could be used with JPEG images, this new version also makes it far more powerful in pulling detail out of even older JPEG images. So to give Camera Raw a challenge, I decided to start with a photo of the Brooklyn Bridge taken in December 2002, yes, nearly 10 years ago. I took the image with a Nikon N5700, it was an advanced, at the time, point-and-shoot camera. And when you check the images on the TechBiter Worldwide website, you will see that this is a JPEG. I have nothing up my sleeve here, and that I did open it in Camera Raw. The first and most obvious problem with the image is that it's crooked. Well, that's easy to fix. Just select something that should be vertical or horizontal and use the straighten command. Poof, you're done. Well, now the image is straight, but there's still kind of a blue, hazy color cast to it. So, I increased both the color temperature and the tint a bit. I left the exposure value alone. It was okay. Boosted contrast, lightened shadows, decreased both highlights and blacks, making both the highlights and the darkest parts of the image darker. Then I boosted clarity and vibrance and reduced saturation a little bit. The picture was getting better. Now, this is a decade-old image, 
and sensors from that time introduced a lot of noise. The color noise was minimal, but the image had a significant amount of luminance noise, which appears as bright speckles. Reducing noise always softens the image, makes it a little bit fuzzy. But adding some luminance noise correction made it a better picture, even if it was just a little softer. Whenever you're correcting noise or sharpening an image, you should view it at 100% magnification. And you'll see on the TechBiter Worldwide website that that's exactly what I was doing. So I came up with a final result. More could be done to improve the image, but just a few moments spent in the new version of Camera Raw has already made a substantial difference. The image is straight, the colors are vibrant. Looks pretty much the way I remember it from that December day in 2002. A highly useful Lightroom function has come to Photoshop, non-destructive crops. Adobe created Lightroom in part for amateurs who sometimes forget to make a copy of an image before performing a destructive act. Any image taken in Lightroom can later be reversed because Lightroom's modifications are all non-destructive. When I cropped the image of the Brooklyn Bridge in Camera Raw, that crop was non-destructive too because that's the way Camera Raw works. But if I had later cropped the image in Photoshop CS 5.1 or earlier, the crop would have been destructive. Any pixels that were cropped out would be gone. In CS 6, the user has an option. Crop the old destructive way or the new way. The non-destructive crop is the default and I'd recommend leaving it that way. On the TechBiter Worldwide website, you'll see what I did with the image of the Brooklyn Bridge. I cropped away the lower deck and the area south of the bridge. If I later decide I want to modify that crop or even restore all of the cropped areas, I can do so. In an earlier program, actually on April 1st, I wrote about the new Content-Aware Move feature, which joins the existing Content-Aware tools. I won't repeat the Content-Aware Move information here. Instead, this time we'll look at Content-Aware Patch. If you didn't see the earlier article about the ability to move content within an image, or since it was on April Fool's Day, you maybe thought it was a joke, well, then there's a link back to that April 1st article from this week's TechBiter Worldwide website. As with most of the Content-Aware tools, Patch will not completely solve the problem at hand. Consider the image that was provided by Adobe of a woman standing in front of a concrete wall. Perhaps you consider the foliage and the sky in the background to be distracting, but for whatever reason you can't crop the image. Let's say the overall dimensions have to remain the same to fit space provided in a publication. And there's a white pipe at the side, so let's say it's an essential part of the visual message. So content-aware patch comes to the rescue. I used a rectangular selection tool and selected the top part of the image, switched to the Content-Aware Patch tool, and dragged the area down. Actually, I did that twice and extended the wall nearly to the top of the photograph. You will notice that some of the natural pattern of the wall has been lost, and there's also a problem with some visible repeating patterns in the patched area. But the point is this. The automatic correction that required less than 30 seconds corrected most of the problem presented by the original image. A minimal amount of additional cleanup work would be required to restore some of the wall's additional pattern and to mitigate the visible repeated pattern that was introduced by the patch function. Most photographers need to combine text with an image rarely, if ever, and the previously available text tools were certainly more than adequate for those needs. 
Designers, though, may need to combine text and images more frequently or combine more text with an image. Now, granted, Adobe does have InDesign, which excels at combining text and images, but a designer who has no needs beyond the ability to lay out an illustration, an infographic, or an occasional page might not need InDesign or might not be willing to invest the time or the money needed to master such a powerful tool. Photoshop CS6 borrows some design tools from InDesign, specifically the ability to define paragraph styles and then use them throughout a document. So let's start with an image from the 2002 Corel World Conference in St. Louis. I did some pre-processing in Camera Raw, and I did that simply because it's really exciting to see how much an image can be improved when it's processed with modern tools. The paragraph formatting tools will be familiar to anyone who has ever designed a paragraph style in InDesign, Ventura Publisher, or even Microsoft Word. Like InDesign, Photoshop has both individual character and paragraph styles that can be set as overrides, as well as character and paragraph styles that can be defined. If the term overrides is meaningless to you, then disregard this entire section. But understand that graphic designers all around the world are going to be pretty excited about this. And here's where I feel that I ought to shout at you, but wait, there's more! Photoshop CS6 really seems to be the kind of application that would be promoted well on a late-night TV infomercial because there's always something more. There's layer search, there's wide-angle corrections, specialized blur effects, the ability to create videos, lots of new 3D features. The list seems to go on and on. Adobe's software engineers have really outdone themselves with this release by adding useful new features to an application that was already a powerhouse. I'll address some of the other features that I've mentioned here, and some that I haven't mentioned at all, in future programs. But make sure you stop by the TechBiter Worldwide website and watch Adobe Senior Photoshop Manager Brian O'Neill Hughes as he describes the release. The bottom line on Adobe Photoshop CS6, well, it blows the lid off image processing. Forget everything you thought you knew. Five cats... Even though the magic pixie dust is a figment of my overheated imagination, you might believe this stuff exists after a test drive of Photoshop CS6. The most distressing concern I have right now is the amount of time it's going to take me to review and improve decade-old images using a thoroughly modern tool. For more information, you can visit the Adobe Photoshop website, and you'll find a link on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Skin is the publisher of several sets of plugins for Photoshop, and because the new version of Photoshop will begin shipping soon, I wanted to give some of the company's plugins a test run with Photoshop CS6. Plugins generally need to be reinstalled whenever the user updates Photoshop, so I ran the iCandy 6 installer, and surprise! I discovered that it recognized only the previous version of Photoshop. It didn't even see the CS6 version. Well, that was entirely my fault. I had simply forgotten to check the Alien Skin website to see if there was a new version. There was, of course. It was a free upgrade. It did find the new version of Photoshop. iCandy's effects are divided into two broad categories, those that work on text and selected areas of images, and those that create backgrounds. 
I've shown some of the text effects previously, so this time I thought I'd try an image selection effect. So I started with an image from the Columbus Zoo. A white bird. And I wondered what it would look like if I turned it into an electric bird. Well, that seemed like a perfect job for the corona effect. So I picked a corona effect with large purple spikes, just the kind of look that an electric bird might have, at least if the electric bird was being featured in a science fiction movie. As with all Alien Skin plugins, I had lots of built-in choices. There are 30 basic filter sets and about 1,500 presets. Once you select a preset, you can then adjust the various settings to create just the effect you want, and when you've done that, you can save the setting as a preset for yourself for later use. While I really liked the purple spiked Corona Bird, and you'll see the final image on the TechBiter Worldwide website, now, should I decide later that I'd like a plain vanilla bird and not this purple spiked Corona Bird, no problem. Alien Skin's adjustments are always non-destructive. In some cases, the effects can be applied to a smart object, and that means they can always be edited or removed. This particular effect, however, has to be applied to a standard layer, so Alien Skin automatically makes a copy of the selected layer and applies the effects there. Your original always remains. Well, next I wanted to see what I could do with the background. To create a new background, it's of course necessary to remove the old background. Well, I used the mask I'd created for the purple spiked Corona Bird to drop out the background. Easy. The next step was to call on Alien Skin's eye candy texture filter. A green stone wall seemed a good choice for the no longer purple spiked Corona Bird. The default stones were too large, though, to be believable as a wall for this image, so I reduced their size and made a few other minor changes to the default settings. I candy created a new background and I placed it behind the bird. Now, if you're looking at the image on the TechBiter Worldwide website, maybe you're thinking, eh, not bad. But if you look closely, you'll see two problems. First, the background is far too sharp and it pulls attention away from the bird. And second, I really didn't do a very good job with the mask. The edges are pretty harsh around that bird. For the purple spiked corona bird effect, this wasn't a problem. Now it is. Well, taking care of the first problem was easy. A little bit of Gaussian blur added to the background layer. The background goes out of focus nicely. The bird, however, still has that distracting outline, so I returned to Photoshop's Filter Adjustment tool and made some changes. With the size of the mask constricted a few pixels and a little bit of feathering, the effect was now believable. And feathering is what it's called. No funny business intended there. There's no cat rating for eye candy this time around because the previous review several months ago already awarded the application five cats. Can't get any better than that. The effects provided by this Alien Skin application are handy ones to have in your bag of tricks, even if you never need a purple-spiked Corona Bird. You can find more information at the Alien Skin website, and you'll find a link to it, of course, from the TechBiter Worldwide website. circuits, are you salivating about that new Apple notebook computer? Photographic quality is generally defined as approximately 300 pixels per inch. 
And now Apple has announced a series of new notebook computers that approach the photographic standard. The latest 15-inch MacBook Pro comes with a retina display. That's the technology that makes the latest iPads display so sharp and crisp. But it does come with a high price tag. With 220 pixels per inch resolution, the retina display's pixel density is, according to Apple, and I quote, so high the human eye cannot distinguish individual pixels from a normal viewing distance. The retina display uses what's called IPS technology for a 178 degree wide viewing angle. It has 75% less reflection, says Apple, and 29% higher contrast than the previous generation. The 15-inch MacBook Pro is available with a 2.3 GHz quad-core Intel Core i7 processor, and it has turbo boost speeds up to 3.3 GHz, 8 GB of memory, and 256 GB of flash storage. That takes the place of the disk. The least expensive model starts at $2,200. The other base units with faster processors, more memory, and larger amounts of flash storage start at $2,800. Start at $2,800. There are, of course, lots of add-ons to increase the price. The new MacBook Pro models come with OS X Lion, and buyers are eligible for a free copy of the OS X Mountain Lion when it becomes available later this year or early next. The notebook computer is exceptional for several reasons. First, it shows clearly that Apple is continuing to create innovative computers at a time when many people believe the PC era is over and that everything will move to tablets, phones, and cloud-based applications. Second, these computers are not available with hard disks. They come with substantial amounts of flash memory, but if you want a hard drive, you'll have to buy an external hard drive. Just as Apple was the first manufacturer to adopt a 3.5-inch floppy drive and the first manufacturer to ship computers without floppy drives, Apple is now going to become the leader in diskless computers. The MacBook Air is the computer's ancestor, not the MacBook Pro for which it is named. And third, Apple's innovations will undoubtedly force other PC manufacturers to develop higher quality displays for their computers. And a couple of other points worth pondering. It's going to be interesting to see the new operating systems from both Apple and Microsoft over the next few months, along with the new hardware that these operating systems will run on. And second, within days, Apple's stock of MacBook Pro computers with Retina Display was depleted. Order one now and you may have to wait a bit. When the date for filing quarterly estimated tax payments with the Internal Revenue Service was approaching, I downloaded Form F-1040ES, a PDF, from the IRS website. When I opened the file, which contained fillable forms, Acrobat worked properly for a while, and then closed abruptly. I tried to reopen Acrobat, but without success. After restarting the computer, I could open Acrobat, but opening the IRS file caused it to crash again and I was unable to open either Acrobat or the file even after rebooting. What's going on here? Well, I tried opening the file on other computers where I had Acrobat or Acrobat Reader. No problems. So what I had was a puzzle. 
How I resolved the situation might be a worthwhile topic, so here's the process I followed. First, I tried reinstalling Acrobat. That seemed a pretty reasonable first step, and one that would likely resolve the problem. But double-clicking a PDF didn't launch Acrobat. And in fact, even attempting to launch Acrobat on its own didn't work. So next, I tried researching the problem with Google. Nothing. I tried researching the problem on Adobe's website to see if anybody else had similar reports. Nobody did. Several other half-steps occurred to me, but cases such as these usually require the big hammer. So that's what I used next. I uninstalled Acrobat. I also uninstalled Reader. Now, Reader and Acrobat really shouldn't be installed on the same computer, so there might have been some interaction there. I then deleted the Acrobat 10 folder. I deleted the Distiller 10 folder. I found that there was an Acrobat 9 folder still on the machine, so I deleted that. There was an Acrobat Distiller 9 folder on the computer, too, so I got rid of that. Next, I ran regedit to see if there were any keys that should be deleted, but I looked on the local machine software Adobe branch and found nothing, either under Acrobat or Reader, so there was nothing to do in the registry. Then I rebooted the computer and reinstalled Acrobat from the CS 5.5 Master Collection. The CS 6 is installed on this machine, but Acrobat has not been updated in the CS 6 version. Well, Acrobat 10 Pro now opens properly, and it has no trouble with the IRS file, and I filed my report on time. The point is this. Keep Douglas Adams' admonition in mind. Don't panic. Analyze the situation. Proceed carefully. But don't be afraid to use that big hammer if you have to. official Father's Day program for TechBiter Worldwide, so I'm wondering who's the tech expert at your house. A recent study shows that 93% of us dads think it's us, of course, but only 21% of our family members agree with that assessment. You, we, have been replaced in the minds of 42% of family members by a son or a grandson, and 11% say the tech expert in the family is a daughter or a granddaughter. The study, paid for by TeamViewer, a company that makes screen-sharing software for remote support sessions, interviewed more than 2,000 American adults and was conducted online by Harris Interactive in May. Sometimes the family tech expert simply isn't available when needed, and for reasons that are pretty understandable. 36% said the family expert isn't home when the problem occurs. 30% said the family expert is too busy for time-consuming problems. 23% say the family expert lives too far away, and 21% say the person who needs help doesn't want the family expert to see their personal files. These findings demonstrate that help isn't always nearby when a computer problem crops up in the household, says Holger Feldner. He's the general manager at TeamView. TeamViewer 7 gives families the freedom to receive support from any distance, he says, and from any computer, laptop, or mobile device, no matter which member of the family is considered the expert. So the next time you have a computer problem, he says, and help isn't nearby, simply use TeamViewer to connect your computer with your family expert and let him, or her, fix your problem. 
Founded in 2005, TeamViewer is focused on the development and distribution of high-end solutions for online communication and collaboration. Available in over 30 languages, TeamViewer is available on the TeamViewer website. And guess what? You'll find a link to it on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the weekly podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. All music on TechBiter Worldwide is licensed under the Creative Commons, and information about performers is on the website, www.techbiter.com. I'm Bill Blinn, and if you'd like, you can also send me a message from the website. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you again in a week.